Welcome to Healing Wisdom, a Thursday morning talk show featuring guests sharing their stories and knowledge. We discuss the healing aspects of the arts, metaphysics, social justice, and adventure through all types of terrain. So join me, Pandora Peoples, here on WOMR 92.1 FM in Provincetown and WFMR 91.3 FM in Orleans. We're streaming worldwide at WOMR.org. Hello out there. My next guest is Rama Danielle Marie. She's back with us talking about her latest adventure to India and her upcoming sacred sites journey to Glastonbury to explore the realms and legends of King Arthur and Avalon. We are talking astrology, divination, and her Earth Seed Temple Arts School. Oh, thank you for having me back, Pandora. It's lovely to connect with you and to connect with your beautiful community. I've been facilitating, stewarding pilgrimages since 2017, but myself, I've been a an avid pilgrimer since since the year 2003. And I had the great honor this past January. I went to South India and Tamil Nadu, particularly to visit these nine Navagraha planetary temples. It was a journey that was led by my colleague and friend, Anupam Suman, who is from Northern India, from Bihar, India. And he also is a fellow graduate of the Safaya Center. Um, We both received Masters of Arts and Cultural Astronomy and Astrology last year in 2022. And uh, part of his dissertation was about these naughty palm leaf astrologers and their readings that take place in the center of where these Navagraha temples are. And so he wrote his dissertation about these palm leaf readings. And when he presented it to the Safaya summer school last year, so many people were really interested that from that came this idea to bring a group of people. And I was, of course, totally like sign me up because any opportunity to involve cultural awareness and history and cosmology and astrology and spirituality and temples, I'm like totally in. And especially when it's going with someone who has spent a lot of time in particular areas. So Anupam has spent quite a lot of time going to these Navagraha temples and Nava means nine graha means planetary temples and so in this part of tamil nadu there's these nine temples that connect to what are considered to be the most important nine planets particularly in vedic astrology so we went to temples of the sun the moon um, venus mars jupiter saturn and the south node and the north node, because in Vedic astrology, the south and the north node are very, very important. They carry like the weight of a planet. And it was just totally mind blowing to be in this space and also still integrating. However, I can already feel such a kind of massive upgrade in my own personal connection to the planets and their archetypes. And it's really helping me in how I connect with people through one-on-one astrology readings, through 
the astrology that I offer in other ways, whether it's like through women's circles or my podcast or other writing. So yeah, I'm just so grateful. I got to have this experience. I got to receive divination when I was there, um, on a beach in Chennai, I was able to receive like a gypsy, um, divination from this woman, just, you know, she had her little setup and it was amazing. And then in the town where they do the naughty palm leaf, I, I did get that experience. It is said that every person has at least one leaf and it's like your destiny is written upon it. And then when we went to the city of Madurai, which is at the very far kind of Southeast tip of India, right near the coast where you could almost nearly gaze upon Sri Lanka. When we were in Madurai, I had my palm read by an astrologer and a palmist who has been practicing decades. He's in his eighties. So it was just a fabulous, fabulous way to start the year of 2023. (laughs) That's really exciting. So can you talk more about the naughty palm leaves and the significance and what he shared from his dissertation? What is really fascinating is that there were nine of us who agreed to go. So nine planetary temples And there were nine of us who agreed to go. And Anupam would make jokes about how he knew what planet each person was. And eventually he said, he's going to reveal it. I think I know which one I am already, but I, I won't share it in case that I'm wrong, but I do know enough about his dissertation to kind of speak to it. I just, I'm bummed. I missed the presentation. I really wanted to be there. The gist of it is that there's these palm leaves and the history goes is that like, yeah, people's destinies are written upon them. And when you go to sit with a diviner, it's actually pretty like a fairly kind of mundane process, so to speak. So like when we were in the astrological temples, it's highly spiritual. You, you know, there's, there's priests conducting pujas and People come for prayer and to receive the darshan, the exchange with with the god or the goddess, the deities. However, when you go to have your palm leaf read, if you're lucky enough to find yours, it's kind of like going to like a really old school library. Like it's like you go into um, the the first place we went was the main center, and it's like kind of like a 1980s style office, so to speak, because it's India. So, you know, everything is a little different, but like there are a few women sitting at the desk and, um, you tell them what you're there for. And then they bring you into a room and there's a guy at, at another desk and he gives you a little information. He takes your thumbprint. So if you're female, um, he takes your left thumbprint. If you're male, he takes your right And so they start with the thumbprint and there's certain things in the thumbprint they're looking for, which I guess they kind of have like a, kind of like a categorization process. And then they bring out like a stack of leaves and then they start to go through that. And then they'll ask you questions and they're only, you're only meant to answer them in yes or no. And you're really advised to err on the side of caution. So if you're not clear on whether the answer is yes or no, you answer no. And it goes to where it's like your name is on the leaf 
your parents' name, if you have children, their names around there, your spouse, if you have a spouse, um, your birth date. And once they narrow down some kind of overarching details, then they can get clear whether it's your leaf or not. When we showed up, there were nine of us. And Mm -hmm. I think it was like seven of us wanted our, our leaves red. And so the first place where we were, where we were, which is what I just described to you, they started with two people looking for their leaves. It takes time. So my professor who started the entire academic program that I completed, his name is Dr. Nicholas Campion. Um, he went first because, you know, he was like our guru, like we had to honor him and he's our elder too. Um, and so he, uh, went first and it, they started looking for his leaf around 11 AM and it wasn't found until about 4 PM. So it takes time. And then, um, what we decided because things were getting pretty slow over there and and we, we took a break for lunch, but by about 2 PM Anupam took myself and another woman to another center to kind of see like, if maybe things might move a little faster there. And they did. We actually found a leaf for me pretty fast, but the place where I went was kind of like, it's like the back alley hidden place. Like we, (laughs) we went and it was like, it wasn't like an office. It was more almost like, I mean, I don't want to be disrespectful, but it just, it just didn't have that office vibe. There was a little desk, but I felt good being there. And then they took me into the back area and we sat at a table and my reading, my reading was interesting. I think that there was a lot more that could have been kind of deciphered and Anupam, who is a very high academically minded person told me later, he was not satisfied with my reading nor a couple of the others and that he would prefer to go back and try and find other uh, leaves for us at a time where there isn't such a large group. So these sort of things probably better to do when it's like just a couple people versus like a big group, because I think it puts too much pressure on them. Like Anupam was kind of telling me, you know, he was like, you're an astrologer. Like, you know, it's better to have like one or two clients a day who come for some time versus like have 10 people walk in, right. And like do a bunch of readings. However, as someone who does readings downtown in the city I live in, in Asheville, North Carolina, like sometimes when I do readings there, I I might have like 10 readings in one day. So it was kind of funny. He used that analogy with me because I can do it either way, but I get what he's saying. Like you can go much more in depth with one person when you really commit the time. So I'd love for you to speak to the temple and its connection with gods and goddesses and astrology, and then talk a little bit about what's going on astrologically right now. Yeah, that's a great question. So yeah, so there were nine, nine of these planetary temples. And so there's one for each. The first one we went to was the Mars temple because the Mars temple is in the exact town where the Nadi palm leaf readings are. Each temple had its own unique flavor, like the Mars temple, which Mars is about vitality and health and well-being and energy and so many things. But in, in Vedic astrology, that aspect of health and healing is something a lot of people really go to the Mars temple to pray, to receive health and healing from. And then like, 
the following day, which we went to the Mars temple on a Mars day on Tuesday, which is when we're here seated together. And, um, on Wednesday, we went to the Mercury temple, which is a Mercury Mercury day is Wednesday. And that temple just was very big. There were, there was a lot of nature and, um, we had it, we did a very special ritual to connect with Mercury and our group was doing it. And then there was another group, which appeared to me to be a family. They also participated. And so at one point while we were waiting for the priests to get everything ready for our ritual, um, we were seated in a row facing the other family And we were kind of just like, you know, sitting on the temple floor, like waiting. And there was this buildup and anticipation. And we had little seed packets of green lentils. And there were different flowers we were offering and green cloth for mercury. And so basically when we got ready to go do the puja, we go into the area where where mercury as the god is in the form of a statue and there's an area where you can kind of sit on the floor in front and you give your different offerings the priest comes around and collects them and it's important you've touched them because it puts your frequency with that and the priest receives every person's first name and their nakshatra and their moon sign And the nakshatra is the constellation that the moon was in when the person was born. So the priest gets the name, the constellation and the moon sign. And this allows them to, they, they share that they relay that back to the God. So in this case, it was like to Mercury and they give the offerings. And then there's a whole period where Mercury was undressed, poured like lots of fresh milk over And then once that portion was complete, then there was a lot of like sacred water baths, like clearing, and then the curtain was closed. And then when the curtain was reopened, Mercury was dressed in the fresh green cloths we had presented and there were flowers and so many other things. Um, You know, I could just spend a week like absorbing this whole give giving and receiving the mutual reciprocity, it it all went by kind of like in the blur of an eye, because just that day alone on that Wednesday, we went to another temple later that night, we stopped by a, a monastery during the day. And we saw these young boys being trained in the Vedas to be these priests. And then somewhere in there, we had a little lunch, just being in these frequencies was amazing. And witnessing this mutual reciprocity was just unbelievable. When we were there, uh, there was some important astrology that occurred through the Vedic stream. Now I work with tropical astrology at this point, and we have a couple of really important planetary shifts that are going to be affecting the collective in such a massive way. So on the 7th of March, we have a full moon and Virgo. And on that day, Saturn shifts from the sign of Aquarius into Pisces where Saturn will be pretty much until February of 2026. There's a moment where Saturn will kind of dip into Aries at the end of 2025 when it goes retrograde, and then it will go back into Pisces and then finish out in February of 2026. So this is almost three years of Saturn in Pisces. 
And Saturn is that planet of restriction and some call like Lord of karma, Lord of time. Saturn delivers to us lessons and experiences that ultimately wish to assist us in our own self-mastery and our growth and our evolution. However, sometimes they can come through in ways that don't always feel so good. They can feel depressing. They can feel constricting. We can feel frustrated during certain Saturn experiences, but Saturn is like imposing those limitations so that we must move forward with those specific topics in our life. And namely that would be wherever Saturn is transiting through your chart. And with Saturn going into Pisces, it is the last sign of the zodiacal wheel. So there's this element of maturation and Pisces is water. It's mutable, universal, collectively minded energy. That is where we start to merge back with the divine, with God, goddess, source consciousness. So Saturn and Pisces is going to be a really interesting transit for us on a collective level. I think we're going to see, we we've witnessed so many people kind of going through some level of, a, of an awakening, particularly around the pandemic, because so many people were forced to kind of go within and look at themselves and look at their day to day in ways that they never had before. And the world had never been shut down on that level, at least in our lifetimes. And with this Saturn and Pisces transit, I do think it's going to start to wake up mass consciousness in a whole other way as well. So it should be pretty fascinating. There's so much one could decipher and share about it, but I also want to share that uh, like two weeks after that here in the Northern hemisphere, we have the spring equinox, which is always an important time of year because it really is like the rebirth of the year. Like we start with the Gregorian new year in January. However, there are many ways to break down a calendar and the beginning of the zodiacal wheel is very much like a fresh start. It's a very initiatory time. So there's a lot of forward momentum building for all of us. And then a couple of days after that, we have Pluto shifting into the sign of Aquarius Pluto has been in Capricorn since 2008 and will be in Aquarius until 2044. So another really big shift for collective reality and frequency and Pluto as this planet of power and transformation in the sign of Aquarius, which is another universal sign, but it's an air sign and it's fixed energy. So sometimes can be a little rigid or stubborn. I think we're going to see a lot of um, hidden information come to light in collective reality where things have been kind of subverted for a really long time. Like we're talking about decades. I think a lot of information is going to come out into the public. And I think it's going to be really interesting because many people have been waiting for this and it should be really interesting to see how things shift. Also, however, though, as we've already seen at the beginning of 2023, artificial intelligence is just like building and growing at the speed of light. And once Pluto goes into Aquarius and really settles there, because it will go retrograde in June, 
and it will dip back into Capricorn, but by early 2024, Pluto will be settled into Aquarius for the long haul until um, 2044. So for 20 years, we're going to see our lives drastically and dramatically shift around technology, around information. And I would just say the most important thing that we can all focus on in this is to stay connected to our humanity and to stay present in our hearts, because that is a key kind of element to maneuver the Aquarian age. And you have um, something coming up. I know you've been teaching classes. You can talk a little bit about that. And also you have a retreat coming up. Yes, I have. um, So I do have an event that I'm actually hosting on the 7th of March, which is a Saturn and Pisces like ceremonial teaching, um, which is a virtual gathering. And I do teach sometimes other, like I have astrology courses I offer virtually and other courses, but what I'm most excited about is, yeah, I have two pilgrimages coming up. One is to Avalon in Wales, and that's the fourth through 16th of April. It's called tending the dragon lines. And we're working with this very strong dragon frequency working with the heart chakra of mother earth, which is in Avalon and the various meridians, the ley lines of the earth with the stones of places like Stanton Drew, Stonehenge, Avebury, and all of these stones have very much a stellar, a star connection. So there's this kind of communication we'll be doing very consciously between the stars and the stones. And I really believe that every human has a dragon that they work with, whether it's conscious or not. And so there definitely is a prayer to really for each woman who comes on this journey to really connect with her dragon and awaken her medicine in a whole unique way. And in June from the 9th through the 24th, I'm offering a journey to Egypt, which is in honor of the summer solstice. And it's called um, dream seed incubation with a blue lotus. So we're very much working with the energies of the blue Lotus, which the blue Lotus has been a long time archetypal symbol from ancient Egypt as it dips down underwater every night. And then it rises in the morning and it, it speaks to this power of rejuvenation. And as it is that color of blue, Egypt is the throat chakra of the earth. And it very much aligns with that throat power. Um, in the beginning, you know, they say sound is what created the multiverse and it is our sound frequency that is so important. I think, especially in these times and especially, especially for all beings, but women's voices are very much needed in these times, women in their power and using their voice also from a heart centered place is very necessary for the kinds of change and transformation we're going to see. So this pilgrimage will journey from Luxor and visit many sacred sites and temples around Luxor and tombs. And then we will go to Siwa, which is in the Western desert. It's an oasis with lots of 
amazingly healing water, spring water, salt water. And from there will culminate in Giza with ceremonies at the great pyramid and in between the paws of the Sphinx. So it's going to be amazing. (laughs) That sounds fabulous. And, um, you know, I just wanted to mention that in China, you know, during the lockdown, like I saw a video and apparently it's real, it's a real thing that people were told not to sing out their windows. Mm -hmm. Um, and, (laughs) there's some message that was recorded. I think it was on a drone that was like, it was about being like something about people's souls being free. Like we know that your souls long to be free, but you must lock them. Wow. (laughs) And I wonder how people's dragons feel about that. And then, um, (laughs) (laughs) that's crazy. There's an idea that we each have, I think, I think it's, it's either five or seven dragons like in, in the five heaters, like contained within our vital organs and the spirit and the essence mm-hmm. that we have these, we can call on these dragons yeah. to heal us because they, there's something about them kind of being within, but also without. Mm-hmm. And then um, the other thing it made me think of is the, in Persia, this no singing, no dancing, mm-hmm. no dancing, no singing rule. Um, you know, obviously Music is threatening because it's an access to the heart and it liberates the soul to sing. And back to your Lotus, um, speaking to the, to the Lotus, the blue Lotus, I get mine from Sri Lanka, Mm. (laughs) the blue blue Lotus I've seen just work wonders with people. You know, it's a, it's a euphoric, it's a Mm -hmm. mild sedative, but it's Mm -hmm. a nervine tonic. And so it really makes people, it helps people to feel elated. It really supports people in that. But also when I've felt the necessity to call in the spirit of the Lotus, I've seen, and I use it sparingly because I feel like it's the kind of thing you can't do every time (laughs) working with somebody on the table and doing Mm -hmm. healing with sound. Um, and herbal medicine, but when I'm, uh, but I had this one time where I saw so, so, so clearly this beautiful blue lotus opening over mm. my client, and he, um, he felt like he was being rebirthed. So he was mm. <laughs> like, "I'm a baby." <laughs> Afterwards, you know. Um, so I'm just speaking to the power of the, yeah. the you know. I love that. I love that. And like (laughs) you were like touching the plant as you were saying that next to you is like, you know, I love it. Yeah. And, and blue Lotus is really helpful to access the dream realm. And on that particular, on this year's particular journey to Egypt, I've, it's been, it's come in very clear that we're working very intentionally with the waking dreams and the sleeping dreams and the visionary dreams, like and just how we're weaving reality because what we've been experiencing, particularly since the astrology of 2020, when we had the great conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn and all of those eclipses in Capricorn that were like activating. I mean, we had so many different great conjunctions with Mars and Pluto and Saturn and Pluto in January of 2020. It was a lot, but what started happening was this breaking down of time, this folding and collapsing, and then time is being extended and just spun in so many different ways. And so working with our dreams, and I think this applies for all of us, you know, all of uh, everyone who's listening here, it's like, 
we're in such a profound time where working with our dreams, whether they're sleeping dreams, waking dreams, our daydreams, you know, our life's heart song dreams to, to really work with them and be conscious and to, uh, write them down to, to journal, you know, to actively vision because every single one of us that is alive on the planet right now, we're together, we're architecting this new earth consciousness and, we've all done so much work internally and ancestrally and collectively to like dissolve and shed and let go of a lot. And there will still be more of that happening for sure. However, now that we're in 2023 and this is a year of forward momentum, it's symbolized by the year of it's, it's the year connected to the chariot card and the tarot. There's just a lot of energy we can harness and and working with the dragons helps to, to like bring in that chi and like really strengthen what it is we're delivering in the world. Well, thank you so much, Rama, for joining us this evening. Folks can go to earthseedtemplearts.com. You've been listening to Healing Wisdom at Outermost Radio. All of our shows are podcasts at WOMR.org. Also check out HealingWisdomRadioShow.com and contact me at Pandora at WOMR.org. music is provided by Mazin. You can find her website at mazinmusic.com. That's M-A-E-S-Y-N 